Good morning. Welcome to Leather and Limits. This is episode 11, November 6th. With us, as always, is the Miss Imperatrix Knox. Hi. Mr. Devil. And I'm back, bitches. Welcome back, <laughs> good sir. It's good to have you. And today we're talking about stereotypes and all their effing bullshit. Because let's good be honest, start. it's it's something we we've wanted to say. It's something that everybody's probably been waiting for, at least to some extent, with some of the things we've said before, like about vetting and labels. But I'm going to open up with probably the most obvious one. You know, stop me if you heard this one. Uh, the stereotypes about dominance specifically, and granted, most of these are heteronormative, but they fit. You know, our personal favorites, you can always break dominance into like four categories when you're new and you don't know dick about BDSM. You know, the gentleman dom. Mm-hmm. I'll wait. <laughs> I'll wait. Because <laughs> we're all going to chuckle at a lot of these because we all know what they are. Mm-hmm. You know, the sadist master. Um, as it's been affectionately referred to by friends of mine over the years, the torso. The torso is the guy who's usually in his 20s, thinks he's a dominant, may or may not be, is more concerned with his pecker and his washboard stomach than actually being a dominant. Hmm. This is the guy whose profile picture is usually both, if not, if not one or the other. The Guido. He's all quaffed and mancastic. Often. Jeez. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. All fits in the same category part. Yep. And then last but not least, the daddy dom, a.k.a. the soft doms. None of these is 100% accurate, but we all know that everybody's been broken into that category, at least at some point. Um, And unfortunately, that's... And once again, those are the heteronormative male dominant stereotypes, specifically. Um, Unfortunately, there's really one glaring one for female doms, and I am so, so sorry. Uh, there's a few. There's more than one, but there, let me let me hear what you got. You know, there, there's the one that everyone is most colloquially well aware of, and that is the female dominatrix mistress. You know, a little too hard on the nails. So there's actually several. I'll get on my soapbox. Oh, please do. Yeah. So you've got the uber bitch, which is the you know the the over the top sadistic, you know ridiculous you know screaming in german like that kind of stuff um got the mommy dom just like you do with with daddy doms right the soft dom you know right. pedal chastity is cute tee hee hee um god yeah after that you've got like the what i'll say is like the the headmistress um you know the the typical i'll say disciplinarian style okay um, i can see that and then and that's that's another trope and then I would say the other the other glaring trope would be the um it's kind of it's it's turned into this weird emo thing. It used to be a little more of um I'll call it a, a satanatrix. Um it was kind of trope so by Morticia that, Adams. Wait, I've heard that one a few times. Satanatrix. Yeah, Satanatrix. I, um Okay. And so it's it just basically encompasses all of that spooky goth aesthetic kind of uh, thing. Where, okay. You know, it's it's very dogs don't wear pants. No. <laughs> Go paint my house. It but it but it kind of is, right? It's you know, and, and those those four a lot of women kind of and there's more than that, don't get me wrong. But I would say stereotypically, those are the four that 
Yeah, when I get hit up, they're like, oh, what kind of dominant are you? And I'm like, the Imperatrix, motherfucker. Oh, no, totally. And this is, that's why I said these are like the top of mind, absolute, most commonality of stereotypes that everyone thinks of when they don't know kink from a hole in the wall yet. Because there's obviously quite a few smaller ones that as you get into kink, okay. you think of. But those well, are usually the top, years, like, don't six. Know kink at all. <laughs> don't forget those that think they've been in it for years and they don't know kink at all. And they just try to fit themselves into one of those categories and stay there. See, that's more on that's the quite... bullshit side than the stereotype side. <laughs> well, but I mean, there's a lot of them who join into it and they, they think they're a part of it because of Oh, that's true. Well, because, I mean... There's too many of them. Because imitation is how they learn. That's the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you get into a new group of people and things like that. People try to imitate to try to fit in and then start picking up mannerisms and everything like that from being in that group. And they think, oh, this is the way it is. No, that's fair. Yeah. And that, that goes back to things we've said before about you don't know if you don't know. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. that doesn't always mean it's a healthy don't know. And those are a great example of that. Because, yes, there's quite a few of those that, you know, unlike, you know, we've we've mentioned before and other people have about imposter syndrome for those of us that have been in it a while mm-hmm. where when you're not familiar with the group of people you're with there's that immediate oh god does everyone think i'm a charlatan do i not know what i'm talking yeah. about what and of course that's not <laughs> true but we always have that moment in a new community especially even if we've had decades of practice you got to expect that Right. But that is the opposite of that is that stereotype of they walk in and they talk like they've been doing it for like 40 years. And they're, you know, meanwhile, they're maybe like 40. And when they start talking, it's very clear, very rapidly that they don't know anything about anything. They're just really good at copying the mannerisms of someone else they saw. And the problem is that doesn't work by itself, (laughs) at least for more than about five minutes. It doesn't work for shit. You can spot those guys fairly easily. Or women, or theys, whichever they wish to be called. You can spot them fairly quickly, but they are actual imposters versus somebody who questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's nothing wrong to, to you know, we've said before about, especially with our leather episode, when we talked about, you know, imitation is the best form of flattery and all that. (laughs) You know, it is understandable. There are people that are going to see the the leather-clad dom and you know, wearing his vest and all his badges and everything and talking smack and everyone's all looking up at him with adoration and all that. What they don't understand is there's like 20 years of communal service put into that. And all of his friendships are long-standing commitments that have been built on over years and years. And these are people that respect him out of practice, not just because of station. And when you first come in, you just don't know any of that. So that's just what you see. And so you think, well, that's how I need to act. The difference is whether or not you pick up on the realization that you need to learn that, no, that's not really how it works. I need to practice what I preach and get there when I get there. And that's where the difference, I think, where the real linchpin is, is whether you recognize that point or if you just never do. Because anyone can quote from, you know, BDSM Wiki. Well, and I mean, that that's the thing is there's so much information online now that to me, there's really no excuse anymore. If you are actually interested in something, you're going to go find it. Or you should at the very least be looking. Just try. I mean, it's one thing to say, I don't know where to start. Right. It's one thing to say, 
I'm overwhelmed with how much information is being thrown at me because internet. You know, it's one thing to say, you know, I don't know how to navigate FetLife. It's intimidating. All of that, I think, makes perfect sense. But for somebody to just go, I'm just going to copy people and wing it. I can't. I don't respect that. Not the way I used to. Fake it till you make it syndrome does not does not work in this type of way. No, it doesn't. Because there's the risk of hurting other people along the way, and that's the problem. That is exactly the problem. We play with things where you can't afford that risk the same way. And is there a certain amount of that you can get away with? As long as you're capable of realizing when someone calls you out on it, like, you know, two or three other doms take it in the corner and say, hey, listen, we recognize what you're trying to do, and this is how it really works. And you recognize, oh, shit, my bad. Okay, that's different because you're owning your recognition of knowledge. I can mm-hmm. work with that because that means you recognize the difference and are willing to fix it. That is not the same as whatever. I've been doing this for so-and-so. Blah, blah, blah. Then shut the fuck up and get out. Because mm-hmm. if you're ignorant on purpose, you're dangerous and not in a way that I find funny. You're not dangerous in the grid. I know I'm dangerous. But I'm not dangerous in the fun. It's not, that's not dangerous in the fun. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not good. Well, yeah. That's and you do have plenty of them who do fit into that stereotype of everything the way it's supposed to be. And, and I don't really know how to name that one or phrase that one, but you have ignorance throughout the community all the way around. Unfortunately. That's actually a very good point, is if you immediately get defensive, then you're probably not trying. I agree with that statement. Not always no, the case, but it tends to hold... Because usually if you're getting defensive instead of being reasonably open, there's a reason. It also depends on how you're being approached, of course. But if someone's approaching you reasonably about it, if your immediate reaction is to get defensive, chances are you have something, whether it's a personal issue, which obviously is different, and that's more individual. And that has no bearing on this particular conversation, but that always (laughs) is a possibility. You have something to hide. You lie about something. Mm-hmm. And that is usually yeah. where it lies, is there's usually a reason you're getting defensive. And mm-hmm. the problem is there's no room for that here, because what we do always puts other people at risk. It's literally the nature of what we do on purpose. Mm-hmm. And it's what we enjoy. But we enjoy it because we observe all those guidelines, rules, and other rhetoric and bureaucratic bullshit that we're all fond of you know, hyping to the point where we could punch someone to death with it. Because we'd rather be blue in the face about the safeties so that when we get to the good stuff, we're not tripping over the rules. We've already covered those because we did the responsible thing first. Everything needs a foundation. Right. You, know, you need something to base knowledge. Even if, you're, even if you're just expanding skills, you still have to have a base. No, there's no way to get around that. No, not at all. And that's it goes back to what we've been saying, especially in the most recent podcast, like, We've been laying this foundation for people to pick up on. And no, it is not a Bible of BDSM. Like, ours isn't the only way to listen even. No. Even though we present multiple paths, even ourselves, and in the things we talk about, it's still not the only way to go. But it is a foundation. Your... It is a way it to get truly, the tools. Yeah. It should truly be the only way to look at this and to approach this type of lifestyle is to provide several avenues. Thank you. Exactly. There should always be multiple paths to journey. Because there's nothing wrong with any of them as long as they're ethical. 
communicating and clear. Well, and I think I think another stereotype too, and that brings up a good point, is that people think because they start heading down a specific course of action, they're following a specific path, that they have to finish it out. Yeah. And that's, that's not true, true either. Because your life changes, your experiences change you. You as a person theoretically should have been growing as you're experiencing things. You may have to pivot and figure, you know, go, you know what? This path no longer works for me. Right. And, if, and that and that's not a shortcoming. I think that shows immense growth. It absolutely does, because recognizing that maybe this is no longer the path for you is an important step. Mm-hmm. Because that can change. And you can even discover that after changing back, you maybe realize that maybe it was the right path and you come back to it. And there's nothing wrong with that yep. either. And that's and kind of the that key. process can take years. Oh, God, you know, yes. I know. I've known a lot of people that start and they're like, you know, their goal was to be covered master. I'll just throw that out there. And oh, fair. <laughs> they realize that, honestly, my calling was to be a boot black and I want to teach other boot blacks. And I actually am not interested and attaining that status in the community, that level in the community, I truly actually just want to do service and education. I agree. And then they find out five, 10 years later, you know, because they get approached and they realize I actually have had way more to offer than just that. And I am ready to step into that master's role. Yeah. And it, it, it's a beautiful thing to watch. No, absolutely. Okay. I agree. Oh, it's, it's the kind of thing, like even on my own journey, I, if you had asked me even six years ago, if I would have ever been considered, you know, a daddy or pursued that path in the slightest, I would have looked at you funny just because of the way my kink journey has run and it has run the darker side of things. And now I'm finding I am blending my leather cultural inclinations with being a daddy dom. And it's it's a weird path to trek. I'm not going to pretend it isn't. It's it's I'm not going to bullshit it. It's odd. So it's but I'm happy with it. About that. It's the thing I think I found out about that, though, that side of it, of, of being a daddy dom, as they call it, or even being a gentleman dom, because they can both fall into the same category. Because I'm always a gentleman before I do it. Right. Well, there's also a but difference between... Go ahead, go ahead. I've also found that being that way, being able to show whomever it is that I am seating with or whomever I'm communicating with and I'm having some sort of a relationship with, if I can show them the softer, kinder, gentler side on top of it, they're more willing to listen. I agree And with they're that. more willing to discuss pushing their limits and my own to further grow safely. Because they know on the back end of it, they're still going to be treated like a human being at the end of the day, not just a piece of shit. No, I agree with that. And I think the other part of that that and it comes back to stereotypes actually is the whole thing with following a daddy dom path is I had the my own preconceived notions about that particular element of kink because of my own experiences, perspectives, etc. Exactly. Where my being called daddy made me sick. Well, it didn't even go that far. I just didn't think it was for me, but I also always had this imagination about, you know, a little is too soft. In that capacity, you know what I mean? For the kind of person I am. And lo and behold, not only am I with a little that is every bit as dark as I am, but is as much a sadist as she is a masochist. You know, it's like having a demon for a little girl. I mean, <laughs> and I see nothing wrong with that now because I've had a chance to explore it and realize there's more than one way for even that particular egg to crack. 
and I'm finding it works better with what I thought it was than I expected even for myself. And I never thought I'd come down this path. But not only am I having fun with it, I'm exploring a whole new branch of it for myself that isn't common, but that just makes it more entertaining and more engaging. So in the in the chat, a very interesting thing has come up as we've talked about this, about paths evolving and changing. And, you know, some of the stereotypes around those those dom tropes is what I'll call them. Dom That's stereotypes, dom them. tropes. Yeah. Um, a lot of the issues that pop up around that and how people start labeling you and putting their expectations of what those words mean onto you, even though you've not used those terms to define yourself. And no, I'll agree with that. Soft dom is a great example because oh, God, pleasure dom, soft dom, you know, a lot of people have this this weird mentality that it's the come here baby girl and like that's it and it's there's so much more to it you can oh, be God, a yes. soft sensual sadist <laughs> well, you, know, you can be a soft sensual master it's mm -hmm. it's all about how you define your dominance and what your flavor of dominance is like i mean even me as a dame like my my brand of handling things is radically different than some of my best friends you know, miss rue who was on a previous episode her flavor of dominance is different than mine, even though we're best friends and we're sisters. Totally. You no, know, it's, it's going to be dependent on your personality and what your needs are as a dominant. Absolutely. And, hey, if you're lucky enough to find somebody to put up with your bullshit, hey, you're winning. <laughs> no, yeah. I agree. Well, and I it's can. The same thing, like... too. Submissives are falling into the same categories, though, because not every sub is going to behave the same. Not every sub wants to learn the same things. No. Not every sub yeah. is fine with the same level of protocols. Yeah. Mm. I, we were all pretty much brought into this lifestyle pretty much the same way. And if you, feel, if you look at it you know, through your mentors, through the people who were a part of your life, through those who helped guide you and helped show you the path, I'm sure just like me, you two both heard, you need to pick your own way. And your own way will surprise you eventually. And you're not going to really go how – you'll end up going, how the fuck did I end up here? I'll agree with that part. I sure, I, I sure <laughs> shit no mine did. When I picked my own path, went, okay. I've gone from a bone breaker to a pleasure dom to a daddy to all three. Yep. They could be all in the same night. Happen? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I can, I can even, I can even add more to that specifically in that ironically, when I started that, that sensual sadist moniker specifically was exactly where I was because I very much saw the soft dom thing and I heard the stories and the tropes. And now granted, this is, you know, going on almost 27, 28 years ago, almost thir Jesus Christ, almost three decades. We won't get into that. Um, yeah, you selfie bitch. Anyway, you shush your, anyway. <laughs> but, you know, I started with a leather house where the idea of being a soft dom didn't fit. Mm-hmm. And I took that, but I also saw the other side of it because one of the things I enjoyed was inducing pleasure, not specifically just giving it or enjoying the seeing of it or whatever. It was causing it very specifically. But I realized very rapidly that it fed my sadism. And I determined, I was determined to take that soft dom bullshit because I enjoyed pleasure and said, nah, -uh, we're going to make you understand that there's more than one way to skin this cat. And that mm -hmm. whole sensual sadist side of things is exactly where I took it. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You see, if you put enough pleasure on it, it's as painful as anything else. And we're about to show you how. And I enjoyed that path stupidly because I pursued it to that level. And I made You're people think huge. about that whole, 
Oh, he must be a soft on. No, no, he's not. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Far from. I, I still were ally with it, too. You know, like, oh, you're a pleasure dog. I'm like, yeah, I take pleasure out of your pain because I've caused so much pleasure within you. You are now hurting and crying. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's but it. I, <laughs> that, but that's what I mean about the, the stereotypes. I mean, it's people, people have, I mean, all words have power. You know, labels have meaning and that's how, and, and they have meaning on purpose, right? And I don't want to belittle that. And I mean, we did a lot of episode on labels, but like, I, I feel to just look at somebody and I'll use FetLife as an example. You see a profile and somebody says, you know, 41 male sadist. It doesn't tell you much. No, it doesn't. Honestly. No, not really. It really you know, it, does people, not. People see that and they rely on that. And, and, and instead of asking... You know, people always default to, well, what, what kind of kinks do you, are you into? What kind of fetishes do you have? Okay, well, that's great. They never ask, what kind of a dominant are you? Right. Really don't ever get that question. What kind of a dominant are you? What I get is, are you willing to do activity A, B, or C? There's a big difference between all of those questions. You know, and it's not semantics. It, it matters. Now, I, I'll pose this question to the both of you as well. How many times do you sit back and actually ask yourself what type of a dominant? I have to do it I, regularly. I, yeah, I say that I literally do it every day. But I do it every day because I wake up and put on a different pair of pants every fucking morning. I may be the <laughs> same person, but every day is different. No, I'll agree with that. I, I find that my my path as both a sadist and as a dominant definitely has changed sometimes weeks at a time just because of the way life has changed you know life goes on you have kids you have families you have situations job changes you know mm -hmm. the things that we don't talk about in kink that happen every day when you're in a committed long-term kink relationship because mm -hmm. it's not just when you have time to scene it's mm -hmm. when do you have time to scene and not you know some people have it differently than others in that regard but when you're and not how you, adjacent how do you to live your, how do you live your everyday life in right. between those times? No, that's exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't mm -hmm. know about the rest of y'all, but I can't see. Hell, I'm lucky if I get to maybe once a week. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's not an everyday thing. Like, I get to do it whenever I want at, on command. And I realize there's people that can, and I'm not shitting on the ability at all. It's life happens. And you have to embrace the fact that life, I mean, right. you're still a real person. Exactly. Even, even when people say, oh, I live at 24-7, it's cute. You do live at 24-7. And it doesn't mean all protocols go out the window. But the reality is you both get sick. The reality is work interferes with things. You, know, you have deaths in the family, things like that. Some, some aspects of kink have to take break. It doesn't mean you've completely exited things. And it doesn't mean your dynamics right. completely fell apart. No, I look no. at living at I look at it living twenty living at twenty four seven is not something that is in the forefront, but it is the way I live. It is who I am. It is a part of who I am, and my kink journey, my sadism journey, and the relationships the people I have are always in the forefront of my mind. No matter what else it is that I am doing, there's always something. It doesn't matter what it is. I could be at work and I could be setting the press up, and I can go, Jesus, I could crush somebody's head and make me smile. And I go, Yeah, you're a fucking. <clears throat> 
Well, no, I agree with you because, yeah. Or serial killer. I mean, well, I mean, we've said many, many times that the difference between (laughs) there's a the only difference between a sadist and a serial killer is a moral compass. We've recognized that a long time ago. Let's be honest. And it's not because you don't enjoy the same amount of suffering. It's that you know it's not a good idea to go on a rampage. That's also true. Regardless of the other reasons, I still enjoy enjoy the suffering. (laughs) I enjoy beating on people gleefully. I want to continue doing so. Therefore, I don't yes. get all stabby murder with people who I don't like. I don't want to go to jail and not be able to do it ever again. So. Exactly. I don't want it to be a one and done. I'd like to continue doing it as long as I keep breathing. Therefore. <laughs> and that not be the next 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But no, it's it is very much is a case where you you do put real life up and you say, you know what? Right now, we do what we got to do as as grown-ups, as parents, as people long distance, whatever the situation may change to. It really is about like that 24/7 comment. It really is about how you're living. Not mm-hmm. how you're interacting with that other person if you're in a partner dynamic. Because mm-hmm. yes, that's important. I'm not lessening that in any capacity never in my life but you can't always control the other parts of life so what you You do is you do the the best you You can by still being that person for yourself regardless Mm -hmm. because it's not about them it's about yourself i'll say even more so it's about both of you because what you are with that person is still that person but what you are when they're not around as well is just as important for you, especially for your mentality in that capacity. However, that oh, said, yeah. <laughs> now that the tinfoil has run away to, with us once again. <laughs> how about back to uh, how about back to stereotypes? Yeah, what about the other mm-hmm. side of it? we've done the dominant side, but now think of all the typical stereotypes. Oh that are, boy, missing. There's a there's a fun one. Four switches. The stuff that happens with those guys. I mean, fence sitters. What do you call them that? Who says that their lifestyle is not just as valid as yours? It's the way they feel it. But the stereotypes that run through them. It's just immensely disgusting. Well, but when and re- the way that it relates to leather specifically, though, I do feel switches are not. I feel that they're undervalued because I think what happens is. However, somebody first meets them becomes the ingrained, this is how they are. I'll agree with that. Instead of appreciating the fact that they are different with different partners. And and even within leather, you find that. Like, you can absolutely be in service to somebody and be someone's boy. Right. And then turn around and take charge of another person. No, absolutely. There's, there's no shortcoming with that whatsoever. And I think, but I think that really is what happens is, you know, you meet somebody at, a conference or you meet somebody at a play party whatever <laughs> however you see them at that moment you get it in your, in your head that that's how they are well and, and I'll, hmm? well and i'll take that to People the other that. to the other part of that equation um in that the other side of that is the trope itself which is you have the switches who are like that who are capable of both and it's not because they're both with the same person not that that can't happen but that's different. That's a different discussion for another day anyway. But it's that they get labeled that way when they talk about being a switch and immediately the trope that most people lean to is that on the fence, doesn't know what they want, they don't understand yet, 
you know, and I think that's the one that I hear the most often, especially with the, let's say the semi-toxic dominants who don't understand that you can't be both because they're too mm-hmm. domly dom for their own good and can't imagine the idea of sharing or splitting that idea mm-hmm. is the, oh, you're a switch. You can never have both. And it's like, no, you absolutely can have both. You may not be able to always have them with the same person. Right. You know, what's about insecurity? Yeah. Once you're going to be insecure about who you are and how you are living it, then talk to somebody and figure out your insecurities, but don't take it out on everybody else, especially those who are like, yeah, I think I'm a switch. Right. Or or I think I'm a dominant leaning submissive. And I've heard many of them say that. Oh, no, I don't think I'm a switch. I think I'm a dominant leaning submissive. So, which route are you going to go? Alpha sub? There's another great fucking That's, yeah, the alpha sub. Mm -hmm. Let's let's get into these subtypes, because we're going to cover a lot of them, and they're all going to be unhealthy as hell, no matter how we spin them. The alpha sub (laughs) is the worst one. And I hate it because it's one that I have used the term for. And a number of people use the term for it in a variety of ways that are not unhealthy or tropey. But that's the problem, mm-hmm. is there's so many tropes associated with those two words together. But and a so lot of them are... Try to identify that, are there so many of them who try to identify like that that are For not, the same reasons, toxic. right. Yeah, they're just toxic and unhealthy because they want to beat my ass because I love it, but I'm still going to tell you what to do because that's the way I feel. Now, I for mean, the... Nah. Just for the shits and grins of it, I'm going to ask us to go around the room here in a minute and describe what your actual your actual definition of a true alpha sub in that sense for yourself is, as opposed to the trope. And there's a reason behind this, and I promise I'm going to get to that when we all speak. Um, I'll go first. Okay, go for it. Okay, yeah, fuck it, I'll go first. So I preface this with saying I do practice hierarchical DS. Um, So to me, alpha sub actually has a place and a position within my household. To me, an alpha submissive is the major domo of my house. Alpha sub is the one who, I would almost call him like a line supervisor for anything that I need, you know, handled. Not just an executive assistant. There's a bit more to that because they have elevated responsibilities because of their familiarity with me personally. Um, And I do expect them to assistant training and almost mentoring whatever other submissives of mine they come into contact with, whether it's in the home or out. And I expect them to be helpful. Um, Likewise, I expect them to tell me when there's problems. Their personality to me is not necessarily one of dominance. I believe that it comes from a sense of security in their competencies and things. Um, But they, they are not dominant. Even even if they are identifying as switches, to me, they are not switching with me. So they are not right. dominant to me. They are not dominant to the other submissives in my home. Right. They take charge. They're in more of a managerial role. And so to me, that is an alpha submissive. Um, anything other than that, in my opinion, is topping from the bottom and is not healthy whatsoever. No, I can respect that I, perspective, absolutely. I fully wholeheartedly agree with, that, with what Fox is saying. I look at an alpha sub as say the vice president to my presidents they the things they handle and take care of doesn't necessarily make that dominant it is quite literally just they assist they help they help me they help everybody else in the house they they contribute and most often than not 
whoever submissives will go to them before they come to me with an issue. Basically, you'll set chain of command. Shit rolls up here, but it has to make it right. all the way up that hill first. Well, and it's not unlike in leather home, leather houses. Once upon a time, where you had, you know, and it's it's been used multiple titles, and we've covered those before. First girl, you know, sub domo, etc. Domo submissive. Um, alpha submissive has been used, but it's rarer in that capacity, only because most leather houses don't want that term being misunderstood, because it is in a communal setting, not an individual home. So for most people, the alpha sub does usually tend to stick more with the primal communities for that reason. Well, and that's – yeah, and that was where I was going next is for me, there's been two cases where I've used it personally. And what Knox described is one of them, um, and it is often the way I've used it. Uh, the other one comes closer to the primal side of things, and it's where I've described it the other day where it's the idea of someone who is effectively – submissive to one, not necessarily dominant to others, but above them in terms of a hierarchical mentality. And there's two different things on that, because it's not because they dom the other people. It's that doesn't right. change that those people still answer to them, and they answer to the dominant. And that's two very specific things. It's not because she's any more dominant to the others, it's that they answer to her, as well as the dominant for purposes of hierarchical respect. Whether it's okay. in a poly family setting, which is where it's also most found. But poly isn't always kink also, and that's why you have to specify. Because that's and not that's always a submissive that. in those yeah, capacities. Just your first all, or yeah. nesting partner, as it's also been called. And, yeah, and nesting, nesting partner, partner works that way as well. Because those mm -hmm. can be interchangeable if you're not in a kinky capacity. But it's the same premise. It's that your nesting partner is your first and foremost. They're your dedicated partner. You've chosen this together. It's not that the others are less than. It's that for the purposes of, they are the first go-between other than yourself. And there's a variety of reasons for that, some of which are emergency-based. Like, if you're on travel mm -hmm. and not home and something goes wrong, they can't mm -hmm. wait for you to get the fuck home because someone's in the hospital. That's not going to work. They have to have someone yeah. who can make decisions who's there, who is not going to answer to someone else for it. That is a great example of where that matters. And I would never call that person the trope version of an alpha sub because they're not. They're not dominating anyone else. They're not telling them what to do. And if they do, it's direct issued orders. They're carrying out the message of their respective dominant, not issuing orders right. themselves. And those are Again, two different things. Yeah. Right. As opposed to the trope itself. <sighs> Which is very much the, oh, I only answer to one dominant, but I'm everyone else's. No. Or I only answer to one dominant, yet I don't even have to answer to them. I just kind of do what I want and then just call this person my dominant. Well, and that's... Uh, Kuba actually asked an amazing question. What about a mono-submissive saying they are an alpha sub? The problem with being an alpha sub in that capacity, it implies that there's betas. If you're in a monogamous relationship, where's the betas? Where's the betas? That doesn't even it's, work. Well, because, well, because what it is, yeah, because what they're what they're doing is they're they're doing that. I'm an alpha everywhere but the bedroom. Yeah, that's that's really what they're saying. Well, Just because you're a type A person doesn't mean you're a dominant. No, Just not the slightest. Because you have a dominant personality type doesn't mean that you are a dominant. No, and those it's why those tropes things. are 
usually ridiculous is that at the end of the day, if anything, making that statement in a monogamous relationship just shows that you don't have the responsibility of the role and therefore it can't be mm-hmm. a dominant. You look at some I mean, of the most powerful that's... people in the world. But I'm a dick about that. Control, I mean, yeah. People who have to have control 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. It's part of their life. It's part of their job. It's part of who they are. Those hardcore type A's, 90% of them, or I'll even, I'll even guess to wager and throw my dick out there. 95% of them are submissives in the bedroom. Because they have to have somewhere to fucking let go. They have to have somewhere where they can right. just let everything go. I'm but honestly, anything. that describes a good number of good old-fashioned submissives that don't need some special affix to the title. Exactly. It's, to me, what, a, what an actual submissive is. She takes control of her entire life, or he takes control of his entire life. And they have to. That's just the way it is. Right. And the only true place they want to give it up is there. But does that mean that the does that mean that there isn't a relationship? Does that mean there is not a dynamic? Of course it does. There is one there. It's just that you only get to pick and choose the times when right. you have it. Well, it's not unlike when we covered uh, at this point some time ago. One of our earliest episodes, we actually covered that particular perspective when we talked about you know dominant submissive roles in everyday life, where it's not necessarily that role. It's that that role is similar to. Whether it's you answer to your boss and your boss has a direct authority level to you that you treat them in service because you feel that way about it, not because they force you. There's a difference. It still comes back to consensual ethics and perspective. I am frequently dominant in most of my jobs that I have ever taken because I am not afraid to take charge and show others the way, not because I grab them by the stiff of the neck and make them. There's two different things. But unless you work for yourself, but only yourself, you're going to answer to somebody at the end of the day anyway. Right. We've all got bosses. Well, exactly. And even when you, and even when you do work for yourself, you still answer to somebody. <laughs> you're your own dominant. <laughs> you answer. You answer to your customers. You answer well, to yeah. whomever it is your your, your service needs. You are Absolutely. Still well, and that's why I don't like using dominant and submissive in everyday life capacities that way. I can make parallels and comparisons. But I would never be like, no, your boss is your dominant. Not unless they actually are. I would never want to describe them that way in a specific sense of identification. Because they're not. You, it's certainly you not never... consensually. Well, <laughs> but your dominant is not your boss unless they are actually your boss. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But that's exactly. because so you that's both very consented dynamic. to that. My, bo- my boss is my boss, yet I have shown my boss things that he just blew his fucking mind. I'm leading mm-hmm. and showing him the way. That doesn't necessarily mean he's not still my boss at the end of the day. He has to say so. Yet he's right. not my dominant. I am my own. And I'm aware of the fact that I am my own dominant. I have to kick my ass to get up better. <laughs> do the well, things I gotta do. And I you agree know, with on top of kicking others. I agree with Knox in the sense of, you know, you, you, it is a weird dynamic for someone to be your boss and your dominant. I think it can work. Like, don't misunderstand me. I won't say that's impossible or wrong. Or if you're both consensual and capable of putting those hats separated, I can see it working. I think it would be difficult, but I could see it doing if two people really want it to. My parents did it for years. Uh, Exactly. Case in point, it does happen. Yeah. At the end of their span, she stopped stopped cutting meat and went into contracting. And she stopped working at the grocery store that she had done as well and followed it. So they both got into contracting, and she was literally his laborer and her sub and his sub. Right. They made it work. They just you, you have to be able to separate 
your exactly. professional life. You have to be able to switch that. hats, which I mean, it's yep. something we do all day, every day anyway. But it does take the work. You have to want it. You have to want to put the work in. Mm-hmm. And I think the it's more true. hats you try to wear, the more work it's going to take. There's some people mm-hmm. that thrive that way, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm one of them. I have more than once in my life worn like four hats simultaneously because I had to and loved every second of it, even when it was hurting. Yeah. It just, it's the way it is for some people. Some people thrive in those environments. I have been in a polycule that involved like six plus people. That is a shit ton of metric work, not including the kink roles involved. Cause they weren't all like a harem where all of them were my slaves or something like that. We were all separately, some of them even had kink partners outside of that dynamic group. That's it just quite, a, a, quite literally expressing your kink schedule. Right. Well, and it was a <laughs> shit ton of work. Mm-hmm. But we enjoyed every second of it. When everything was right in the world and all of us got together, it was an absolute stellar moment. Did it take a tremendous amount of work to keep it that way? Yeah, it did. And I'm not even going to bother sugarcoating that shit. It took a metric fuck ton of work outside of work itself and kink mm-hmm. relationships itself. But that comes with the territory. And either you want it bad enough or you don't. Mm-hmm. Like most things in life, to be fair. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Moving on to the next submissive trope, and I apologize in advance for anybody who uses these in any way that's ethical. My slave heart. When y'all get back to up from up chucking, let me know. I totally understand. Uh, oh. <laughs> And I mean specifically the tropes, not the people who use it in a healthy way. And there's two different things. Because um, I, I, I was going to say, I think there is because there I, is. I liken the best way that I have to explain that is I liken it to people that are service oriented. Somebody tells you service is their kink. Somebody tells you that they are service oriented. They know that they are into service and they're doing it for the pure 100% unadulterated joy that they get from knowing that they've made someone else's life easier or happier whatever thing that gets their rocks off. Right. That's a legitimate thing. I see slave heart is very much the same. I agree. I, I, I think that it's become a gross term because of cheesy romance books and shit like that, but I think the sentiment behind it is legitimate. Oh, it absolutely um, is. And I've met plenty of people who definitely cover that way. Exactly. Because people people that are truly do identify as a slave have a unique personality type. Agreed. It's not everyone. Every submissive is not able to be a slave, and rightfully so. I think trope of a slave heart is glorifying a doormat. Well, and that's my problem with it. It's not just that, and this is where I specify it's the trope that's the issue, because there are plenty of people who nine times out of ten, the people who are of that type, mm-hmm. who are ethically of the type and not part of that stereo, usually aren't even using the term more often than not. Not directly. It's something it's that might have been ascribed to, by to someone else. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I Usually the people who use it, and not always, I'm not saying that it can't happen at the same time, because that does happen too. It's just rarer. 
the trope is specifically those that are either I'll use a nameless example. Um, someone that I met not recently. It's been some time, but they describe themselves as, you know, a slave in the sense of I like learning new things to add to my value of service. Now, that sounds great and innocuous on the surface because I totally agree with that sentiment for a slave. You know, they were learning how to shave with a straight razor to add to their service abilities and what they offered because they were currently unpartnered. The problem was they used it in a way that sounded and suggested the idea that that made them better than other slaves or other submissives. I'm adding to it because my slave heart tells me this is better. It was the way they ascribed it to themselves and implied that that meant that not everybody had that ability and therefore they were better. And even, even that can run the range of ethical to a point if it's handled well. But this person was not handling that well. It fit the trope identically. It was very much someone using my slave heart to make other people sound less. Like you're not as good of a submissive because you don't do these things. And that's where the trope is. Is when you're comparing other people and making them less. When that's not how that works. Because I know plenty of submissives that absolutely are better than some slaves I've experienced. I... (laughs) I would agree with that. And that's unfortunate because, yes, slaves do require a different kind of mental dedication. Not because they are better or worse or less or more, but literally it's a totally kind of like having a huge poly family. It requires a different level of work. And Mm -hmm. some people are prone to that. Some people are not. And it's just differences like apples and oranges are differences. One is not better Mm -hmm. than the other. They're just different. And some people prefer one over the other. Simple as that. I can get behind that. And it should be that simple. It goes back to our journeys are all different and our branches can all be different. You know, I've I've had submissives decide that they would rather be slaves. And I've met slaves that would rather be submissives when they realize that, no, this isn't quite where I wanted to be. I don't think I can make this work because ultimately they didn't have the mindset for it. And there's nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. either. But at no point did they make anyone else less because of it. And I would agree with that. Now on to our favorite, favorite trope of all time, brats. Oh, yay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... I don't even know how to broach this one on the beginning, like which step to take first, because this one's going to be a bit to unpack. There's no way around it. Just by the very nature of the stereotype versus the reality. Um, mm-hmm. And I know we've touched upon it before in S-types when we had that particular episode topic. But... Well, I mean, we should probably approach it the same way we looked at the office sub. What is a brat to you? Versus, you know, what is the brat to you versus... The trope that everybody uses is what a brat is. That's fair. I can agree with that. Um, I'll pick it up this time and start. I, specifically a non-tropey brat. A brat is someone who takes the playful side of sarcasm. The playful side of playing with their dominant, challenging them in a certain way. Not in terms of challenging their dominance so much as poking the bear. And it's specifically a consensual, playful poking of the bear, specifically to be dominated. 
it is an act it's almost like a primal challenge level of format and perspective and that they're literally poking that challenge of i need you to poke me back harder not mm-hmm. to circumvent you not to be insubordinate but because they're seeking that extra step they're seeking that little extra right now and they enjoy getting the rise out of you to make you do so whether it's the slam against the wall the hand around the neck the the look in the eyes and there's more than one way to get that. that, but the brat specifically enjoys doing it that way. Mm-hmm. But the key element to that is they will never disrespect you in public. It would never be a sign of disrespect. It would never be something where anyone would see it as anything playful and cute. And that is the biggest part of that. What makes them ethical versus the trope. Is it never looked at from the outside and been like, no, they shouldn't be doing that. And that's a big part. I can of it. agree with that. Everything they everything they do is done in a respectful manner, and they are quite literally just looking to push their dominant a little further to get a little more. Exactly, as opposed to being exactly. actively disrespectful in some way. They're not looking for punishment. They're not looking for a punishment. They're just looking to see if they can get a bit of a rise. Mm-hmm. Because especially any every single sub I've ever come across to identify as a brat. And I've quite literally said, well, I don't believe in punishment, so if that's what you're looking for, you're not going to get it. You'll actually get punished. And I don't like that term. I don't like that, oh, you mean I'm going to end up having to do actual things that are a punishment that I'm not ever going to forget I had to do, quite literally. See, and that's – Woody describes it well, too. Bratting when done ethically is the fine line walked within a dynamic they have negotiated. And I'll agree with yep. that, but the other side to that is – if the need that there's punishment involved. I don't ever want punishment to be something caused because of playfulness. If I need to punish you for playfulness, it's no longer playful to me because punishment is something I take seriously. I don't do... You know, I have been in a position where I've done maintenance spankings, as it were, but I've never been in a position where I've actively chosen to punish a submissive for something less than a serious reason for error correction. And I never want that line to break. Because that's when I feel it starts getting into the territory of questionable. Mm-hmm. Obviously, so my perspective. Where, but but also you have that side of it to where we challenge our submissives. Yes. And we can, we can push them. We can be just as challenging back to get that little extra out of them as well. And... Yeah, I mean, everybody doesn't seem to want to look at that one as well, but brat dom is a term. And it's a it absolutely is. Fuck, I'm married to one. <laughs> <laughs> I was oh, going to yeah. say, you live with one, so you know all about it. No, absolutely. But even then, 100%. it's never a disrespectful thing. It's never an outright mm-hmm. challenge to the other person's role. Right. It's meant to be playful and entertaining and engaging and abusing that particular kink. <laughs> And I think that's a big part of it is you're particularly usually poking a kink with that. Right. It's like like you have it's like I think the three of us have frequently said more than once is if I don't hear at least one fuck you a day, I'm not doing something right. Well, it's the little things like <laughs> when they choose to brat at you in a playful way. And your response is to pull the sadist move of making them suffer without it being an inherent punishment. Like, okay, do it without paper. You know, little things. 
Like, I'm just going to cook you the biggest habanero salad you've ever had. Okay, do it without bowls. Right. And it sounds or... silly because it's meant to be silly on both sides. It should not be serious. The moment mm-hmm. it's serious, it starts being taken in a different direction. And I don't feel that goes in the same sense of ethical. Well, it's just like, okay, today we have a perfect example. <laughs> Someone said, I'm go- I want to start the fire so you can smoke. I'm like, okay, do it without paper or a lighter. Uh, yeah (laughs) see and that is an absolute and i've known dominants who will do that with a non-bratty submissive where that's that's just you know effectively testing the limits of their masochism in my opinion um it's like okay make curry for tonight for a room full of guests but do it without tools yeah No, no tools but it still is something you would not do with someone where you don't have that within your dynamic. And I think that's the other key element to that ethically is it's not something that would come out of nowhere. It would not come out of the blue. It would not be in a vacuum. Yeah, there's, it would be part of what no you've consent. been talking about since the beginning of it. Yeah, if there's absolutely no consent on both sides of it, that's when you are breaking that boundary and you're being a non-ethical brat. On either side of it, it's it would be the same as some subs walks up to a, a, a dominant that they don't know and goes, "I'm going to cook this greatest meal," and they did the same thing. Do it without any tools. He has absolutely, or she has absolutely no right to state that. No, because that. it's not part of what they've done in the first place. That would be more like punishment for unre unreasonable but, reasons. But that's an unethical side of it because neither one of them has consented to it. He didn't. She didn't consent for him to brat, or he didn't consent for her to brat. Because there's no dynamic there, and there was no consent on either side of it. That's oh, the ethics of it. It is a consensual term. It's some some submissive walking up to some dominant they do not know, whether it be male or female, and just flat out bratting to them. That's not consensual, and that is unethical. Well, okay, so I will say, and I've been quiet about this because y'all know how I feel about brats. I was going to give and... you the floor in a second anyway, because I do want your perspective as well. <sighs> <laughs> I know. It's so loaded. I know it is. And, and I'm okay I can't, with this. <laughs> I can't even sugarcoat this. So I hate brats. I hate them. In regards to serving me, do I respect it as a kink? Do I respect it as an identity? Absolutely. Will I hold space for them? Absolutely. Come at me with that shit and we are done. Um, to me, bratting is absolutely disrespectful. I don't ever want to be in a relationship with someone where I feel like I am being forced to make them capitulate or that I'm being forced to enforce or impose something on them. You came to me for my dominance. You came to me because you wanted to serve me. You wanted to engage with me and learn something from me. That means you check that shit at the door. Being playful, being cute, being sarcastic, to me, that's not bratty me that's just your personality i'm sarcastic as shit now i would expect people around me to be equally sarcastic because they have to be able to keep up with me no i totally respect that perspective for that reason the difference yeah because i think that the difference to me and why i have never been okay with with the whole bratting thing especially in a scene or in a dynamic is i should never be the one forcing you to do something it's not cnc it's not cute. It's not playful. Either you want to do the things that I've outlined or you do not. Either we need to renegotiate 
or we do not. But I, to me, there's, because see, this is that, that toughie, right? There's a fine line between saying, really hate this activity, but I know it's going to make me better, so I'm going to try it, versus I really hate this activity, fuck you, make me. It's I'll the fuck you that. make me that I can't handle. No, I agree Because it's that. just blatant disrespect. I no, fully it, agree with that. The difference is, is that to me, that fuck you make me, that is, that is that unethical side of it. That is not an actual brat. That is somebody who is quite literally <laughs> stepping out of the lines. No, being I agree. A cunt for, a better, well, for a better word. And this is where the trope, I, this is where we talk about labels, and we all have similar opinions on labels. We won't harp on it here because we don't need to. If anyone doesn't know our opinion on labels by now, go look it up. Google is your friend. More importantly, Discord is your friend. Because I assure you, any of us have ranted on it in this server often enough that you can find it. Oh, we'll look sure. it up. Feel free. Oh, we'll my wait. God. Just just search my name in the server. You'll find my rant. Or mine. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've, I've dropped quite a few, too. Yep. Yeah. Because this yeah. is where the delineation is for me. Because the way you describe non-brats with sarcasm is the way I see brats. And it's all exactly. about negotiation. If you didn't come to me like that and I didn't accept it when we met, you're mm -hmm. fucked. Don't start that Get out yeah. the shit. Because I will not put up with it either. I will not tolerate it later in our negotiation. It will not magically show up in the middle of our dynamic. And if you fucking do it while we seen, we're done. I will walk the fuck away. I will call scene and you are on your own. And I will tell you straight up why. I will now, leave I'm not your ass be... on the floor. Yep. You got it. The moment you put that shit on me that way without consent, you're fucking done. Because I will not put up with that shit at all. I am not a brat breaker. I am not one of those brat tamer bullshit. That. I don't play that fucking titley shit. If you need to be broken, you can find someone who wants to play with you that way. I don't find entertainment in that. That is not a brat to me. I'm not saying you're wrong for choosing a different path, but I agree with you in the fact that that is not how I see it. And if even with brats, if you go anywhere near that line, you can walk away. Because I will. My, just don't. I personally just don't feel like I should be forcing you to adhere to my style of dominance. <laughs> you either are called to it and you want to follow it, or you don't. If you don't. I'm not offended by that. No, and there's Truly, nothing wrong with I would with much that. rather you find the dominant that is willing to engage with you in the way that you right. want and make it a healthy, fulfilling. And I recognize in myself, I'm not it. And I and I've had a lot of a, a lot of subs. And they approach me and they're like, "Yeah, this is what I want." We start talking and they're like, "Ew, ew, that's like you're really strict. Ew, you take this way too serious. Ew." And I'm like, "Then you I'm not don't." The dominant this, for you. Yep. And there's I just call it. Wrong with that. I, I just call it right then and there. I'm like, listen, I'm not the dominant for you. I really wish you the best on your search. I know, see, I know right. that you can find someone. And then they get you pissed. Threw off out, you threw out another beautiful stereotype, just just out of like out of context in one of our rants. The brat tamer. Yep. Yeah. What brat the what the fuck is a brat tamer? No, and I, I'm going to quote what Woody just said in the yeah, chalkboard here thing. for a reason, because I agree with his perspective in a variety of ways this way. This is a reason he and I get along. The idea of a brat tamer or a brat breaker implies that a D-type does not want or cherish the feisty side. Exactly. That's what I see. And that's exactly what my problem is, is if I have to break you, quote unquote, you can get the fuck out. If you need to challenge me to feel good about yourself, you're not looking for submission the way I feel about submission. And you can go find oh, someone no. that will play that game with you. 
but you're not doing it with me. At all. But if we will know that up front. It goes back to what yeah. you said about approaching each other in the beginning. If I agree with you up front about something, that's different. We've agreed to it. We've this talked is... about it. it. But that will not be part of it because I will never have agreed to that. Somebody who's looking to be broken in such a way, honestly, to me, and this is and just to me. Go for it. Just to me. They were abused somewhere along the line. Somebody had taken their woes out on that person in ways that it shouldn't have been done. Therefore, the only thing that they can see and feel and act is that is the way they should be treated. They act out and they get beaten down for doing so. I don't disagree. I think there's some foundation in that. I won't say that it applies I, to all of them, but I think you're definitely dead on about there's got to be some roots there for some of them at the very least. There's some there's some form of yeah. a trauma base there for it. Uh, yes, there and has to be. Does that, does that make them a bad person? No, it no. does not. I'm... I'm not going to delineate in that route with them. I will sit down with them and be like, look, if this is what you truly need. I wish you the best, but I'd hope you would go and find counseling instead so you'd understand that that is not actually what it is that you're looking for. And you're never going to be truly happy with it. You just don't understand that yet. Yep. No, absolutely. You want to follow your pattern, you want to follow your pattern of well, abuse? By all means, go for it, but I'm not going to contribute to it. Well, and that's why I want to specify also, like when we, we commented on the whole forcing versus being forced if the sub that i now i haven't had a sub who's done this in this level in quite some time where they were bratty in that sense but i used to have a sub and she explained it when we first met like she didn't sugarcoat it she didn't just say i'm a brat deal with it she explained that she can be snarky and pokey and it's not because she needs to challenge me it's that when she's feeling particularly like she needs more submission. She needs to feel it. She will actively poke me to get a rise out of me because she needs me to put her in her place. And that is her particular preference. Now, that was something we discussed right out of the gate. At the time, it was something I was willing to engage with and experiment with. And I enjoyed it. It would not be something I'd want to do on a regular basis. It is not for me that way. But I still don't see that work. in that other side of bratting where it's being forced because she was actively no. able to explain how she felt about it, why she described it. And it was never disrespectful or forced. It was something where I could have easily just walked away from any of those moments. It's in like, oh, well, I didn't because I knew what she was looking for in those instances because she was able to articulate it right out of the box. And I was willing to work with it out of the box, which goes back to consent and discussion. Exactly. But therein lies the other side to the fucking trope is usually with the trope. Nobody talks about shit first. It just comes out or yeah, worse. It no comes out to everyone around them long before they get that far. Yeah. I mean, those are the to, ones that are given that into it. Well, and this is where the label comes into the trope and why the label has become so soured in the community as a whole is those mm -hmm. that are not really, even if they're submissive, they're not really brats. They're self-entitled, self-absorbed and expect you to do it the way they say, because they haven't quite figured out that's not how this works. And if they do it to mm -hmm. everyone around them and they expect someone, well, oh, you're just not dumb enough for me. No, no one's going to put up with your bullshit. There's a difference. Not dominant enough. Yeah. Then you get to then you get to push that other side of it. Oh, you're just not submissive enough, which they can have happen both directions. And that's just as gross as a dominant looking at a a, a, a 
one who's a self-labeled brat to say <laughs> you're just not submissive enough um who's to fucking say that they are not and just mm-hmm. because they're not your brand well that's a brand you just leave it at that well see and that's a both a trope and a flag which we covered flags in the previous episode a couple of times ago mm-hmm. and it rolls together with that particular flag though of the dominant mm-hmm. who looks at you and says oh you're just a slave who doesn't know it yet blah <clears throat> <laughs> oh, I hate that. To the bottom of my fucking cockles. Do you think there's uh, subs out there who don't do the same thing? Oh, nope, they absolutely fucking do. And we covered both of sides of that do. slash for a reason. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, both, everybody yeah. does it. It's equal opportunity offender. And they're all fucking horrible, toxic people. And that's what it yeah. is. It's horrible yeah. people, not horrible roles. It's horrible. But that's where the trope the comes from is people being toxic. With mm-hmm. certain patterns of behavior. I would never, ever in my life, even when I was 20 and just becoming indoctrinated, so to speak, into this, I would have never looked at a submissive and said, oh, you just don't realize how much of a slave you are yet. So yeah, never that's, have yeah. I had a conversation with a submissive of mine, sat down, who very clearly had a strong service sense to them and said, you seem like you really enjoy service. It's something you should consider looking into. Yes, that is a whole different fucking thing than, oh, you're a submissive. You just don't know it yet. Yeah, no. It's, it's two having, entirely having different things. Yeah, having a conversation saying, how do you feel about service? How do you think you would fit in such a role? Yes. Would you like to try it versus, oh, you are just a slave. You just don't know it. And I've Maybe done that not. as well. Yeah, maybe maybe they're not. Maybe they are a service sub. Maybe they do like to provide service. Maybe that is one of their love languages. Right. Doesn't necessarily make them a slave. No, not in the slightest. Uh... And I've I've ha- yeah I know I've had a submissive that I have sat down with who were like I'm not sure if I'm inclined to be a slave or not, but I'm thinking about it. And I sat down with and said, well, you know, we don't have any children between us. And this was, you know, early on in my 20s where I had that advantage and I wasn't completely complicated in my life the way I am today. And I said, well, we can experiment with it for a night if it's something you want to try it on for yourself and see if you enjoy it in a rudimentary way. And we talked it through. We spent hours talking about it even then to make sure it was where it was at its best possible space. Because even then, it's really hard to do that in that capacity, and I recognize that. That wasn't something I would have done confidently if anything less. But it was for the length of a scene. It was very much a, this is how this would be presented. This is how I would expect this. And these are, I gave things that would have fit my style of masterhood. I know that's not an exact term, but you know what I mean. And we like went for that, for that instance, for that instance, for that role, it fits well because that's right. what type of master you would be for that. Exactly. But see, I even, I even think that people take that word master, which is also, I'm sorry, another stereotype. It absolutely is. Different place from where it should be. No, a I agree. Master to me, a master to me is I master myself. I don't master you. The only mastering I do of you is I take the time to learn. I watch, I feel, I poke. I find those little find out those little things that quite literally make them tick so that I can at any point look at them a certain way and they know immediately what it is that I'm after. Well, and that's another thing. they trope. can look at Yeah. And then they can look at me in a certain way and I can know immediately what it is that they are after. 
it's taking that time to master each other. I agree with the master slave dynamic. It's there. I, I, it's a very valid thing. And I know it works for many people. It's just for me, I see that word entirely different. No, I agree with that. But by the same token, that particular trope rolls back into a red flag we covered where on both sides of the fence, once again, ironic how often these are universal. Go figure. Um, They always are. (laughs) Right. Where it's the case where being called a master or more specifically being forced to be called master by someone who barely has even talked to you before, who will insist on not calling you anything else. And the flip side of that, forcing someone to call you master, especially someone you are not in a dynamic with. It's so gross. It's the worst kind of cringy. And it, it's the same as when someone calls me sir who I don't know. I'm like, did I earn your respect for that? Well, and that's different, though, if it's courteous. If it's just out of courtesy, that's a little yeah. different. Courtesy is different. I but, agree. And yeah, we've approached that before where of... I'm not afraid yeah. to go to you and say, no, 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 no. You don't owe that to me. Mm-hmm. And if they choose the courtesy anyway, I can respect that and I won't correct them mm-hmm. again. But if you try to shove it on me, that's different. Yeah, They're two very different well, things. What... That's what I mean by that consent. I didn't earn that from somebody calls me sir just because that's what they're used to doing. You can pick that up pretty quickly. If they're calling everybody in the room sir or ma'am, more likely than not, somewhere or another, they've had some sort of training or it was the way they were raised that that's the way you address people. You can spot that fairly quickly. But somebody who's trying to shove that title down your throat, mm-hmm. you can also spot that very quickly as well. Exactly. It's because it's a mentality it's and a pattern. Mm hmm. But it's one of the first things I always do when somebody says that, especially in some form of in some sort of a formal dynamic setting, or even in, say, going to a kink club, and I, excuse me, you know, just walking by a submissive or a female or another male, even, and I'm like, excuse me, just you know, trying to get by. They go, yes, sir. I'm like, I just look at him funny, like, give me a moment to figure out how and as to why you said that, and I don't necessarily say that to them. It's just that I watch for a moment to see if it was right. A forced non-consensual thing or just something that they are used to doing well and the irish snarky side of me will turn around and take that sometimes and take the other side to approach it in a friendly way like hey you don't need to call me names i ain't done nothing to earn that right you know it's that whole um (laughs) i work for a living don't call me sir my dad was sir right you know sir was my father i mean (laughs) (laughs) but it's opening it in a playful way where if they really do mean it in a courteous way they'll either correct you or they'll understand it's not something you're looking for and either choose not to or explain themselves. And there's right. nothing wrong with any of those because everything is ethical and clear, which is the point. As opposed to the stereotyped, well, I'm just going to call you whatever the hell I want. You know, and I, yeah, but especially with that. the term master in a community, my favorite part of that stereotype is masters in the community who are not. You expect me to call you master, especially as another dominant who's never met you before? No. No, that's not happening. I assure you that will never happen. Now, Now, the different side to that, though, is if I walk in the door at an event, especially, let's say, a leather event is a very good example, where everyone here will understand the difference. And everyone in the community is addressing that person as master and they're a covered master. Mm-hmm. I will address them the same way because it is clear that that is the way that is for that group. That's different. 
because that person is not forcing it upon anyone. It's something they've earned and the community feels they deserve it. And I can see that with my own eyes. And nine times out of ten, more often than not, with the ethical type of that, half the time they'll correct me when I approach them and say, Master so-and-so, no, 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 you haven't been here long enough. You don't have to call me that. Because there's that recognition as a leather person that I am not part of that community yet, and I am not mm -hmm. obligated to. But they will usually follow up with what they'd rather be called, which right. is an everyday conversation point, as it should be, with ethical approach. And that's a very different thing. And it, once again, is the breakdown between trope versus reality. Someone in a, who's a master in a community will often not call themselves that. It will be something others call them, more often than not. You know, there's a couple of people back in Minnesota that I refer to as master, not because they are obligated in any way or have ever told me I have to, but because that well, is the way the community addresses them, and I right. feel they deserve it. That's different. You know? And it's regardless of how they've earned it, mind you. It's that the community feels they are fair enough to call them that. And I recognize it and agree with it. I can understand well, that. You, yeah. You, know, you and I had spoken of that one too. Like how, you know, in my community and the one that I was raised in and the, my peers, the first time they called me master and I knew that it was accepted. It's it's one of those feelings. It's just like holy shit. It's like being indoctrinated into something that you didn't expect. Right. But that doesn't that doesn't by any means mean that I am going to walk around for the rest of my life with this big old peacock feather hanging off of my back going, Everybody shall call me master now. I earned mm -hmm. it in one place. And it's by those people. Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I mean I've had people who've who've seen the symbol underneath my Maestro Skellion, and they're like, what does that stand for? And I'm like, master. Like, oh, is that something I need to call you? I'm like, no, it's something I call myself for different reasons. Well, and that was Because I'm thing. mastering myself every day. <laughs> Which is totally valid that's as well. That's fair. Well, that's, you know, there was a point towards the end of my time in Florida where I was starting to be addressed as master. Keeping in mind that at that junction, I largely was in master-slave dynamics actively mm -hmm. and part of a leather community actively. For, at that point, going on 10 plus years by the time I put it down. And even then, I made it a point to tell people, I don't feel I've earned that. Now, I have also do. since moved away will. and have not been in a position where it's remotely something I've even earned in a community again. But I wouldn't want to be called that anyway because I don't feel I've earned it. Even, right. at, you know, going on almost coming up on 30 years of kink. I don't feel I've earned it with any one community to be addressed that way. Which should tell you everything that needs to be said about it. After 30 mm -hmm. somewhat years, I don't feel I've earned it. Where I feel a community cracked, should address me that way. I cracked 31 this it's year. It's about respecting that I am not there <laughs> and I don't feel they should see it that way either. No. Because... I will I will die. I will still not have mastered myself. Probably. I keep I put that there <laughs> for that reason that I am here to master myself. And it is a goal. And it's a case where it's even if I finally settle on a community that I'm active in long enough, I might at the end of my lifespan, God help me, that's some time from now. <laughs> but long enough ago to easily be double where I am now in my kink journey. 
to even remotely feel that maybe it's something I could be comfortable with because I'd been in that community that long and built that. That's different to me. Well, yeah. But to have that many people call you master for that type of reason is also an entirely different. They're mm -hmm. paying that respect to you. You've taken that time and you've invested yourself into the knowledge and into the learning and into the experience and into just the full immersion of the lifestyle to earn that. And they say it out of respect. Right. Well, and that's, that's why me, it is different. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, and it's like we talked about in our leather episode when Knox and I discussed about, you know, when we look at these covered masters in leather, which obviously leather and kink are not identical, but they share commonalities. Mm -hmm. But it's a good point of reference in that most of the people that I would approach and call master have developed these relationships that have taken sometimes decades to build on. Hmm. They the didn't last, happen the in a couple of years of really good communication. They took the ages yeah. and networking upon networking and being good in a community, not just as a good person, but communally active and served in their capacity mm -hmm. to earn that. The last person who I called master was Master Snyder, and he was basically my father's mentor. So mm -hmm. in ways, he started to mentor me as well. And now take it. I was, yeah, I was in my early 20s when I actually began to call him Master Snyder. Instead of to walk through those steps and to go through that, he was already in his 60s. Right. They buried him just, a, they just buried him a few years ago. But he carried that title for a very long time. I mean, he died at 84, 85. No, I can respect that. You know? But, I mean, that late in his lifespan, he'd been practicing in leather since he was around 18 or so. I get it. And that, I, so, so here's the thing, and I don't, I don't want to take away from that at all. So please don't, don't take it that way. That's another stereotype that I think bears discussion. It does. The whole, whole you know, OG and old guard no i you know. agree with you let's blow this popsicle mm -hmm. wide open i completely <laughs> agree that i mean addressed. we've talked about stuff on the, on the micro level but i mean let's i mean honestly when talking about leather talking about a lot of the misperceptions and stereotypes that that tend to be crap um is a lot of stereotyping around aiming to be old guard trained via old guard um these are all things that you hear, and people put a lot of weight and value on them. They do. And then you get into the actual leather lifestyle. You get into leather culture on how you identify affects what old guard means to you. <laughs> Can I get and, on my soapbox this time? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're far better equipped to discuss this one, I think. I don't know if I want to go that far, but I would say I'm the saltiest one for it. I say equipped for a very specific reason. That's fair. Well, I was supposedly raised in an old guard lifestyle. so Well, okay. I, I, yeah. I have strong opinions. And I, I know we, we conversed about this when we had Miss Rue on with us about leather, its culture, etc., and where it was going. 
So anyone who listened to that episode or has listened to me for more than five minutes talk about OG leather has heard my rants about Old Guard. I would technically be qualified as Old Guard. Technically, everyone in this room would be for purposes of age versus when we started. Just so we're clear. Right. For the purposes of the Fair. definition, yeah. so we're all on the same page. I'll, I'll accept that for now. Those that effectively started their journey long enough ago would be considered Old Guard today. Even if we don't mm -hmm. see it that way. And I say that just so there's a commonality of definition, not because we equate it for ourselves. Because I don't. I don't consider myself old guard, despite the fact that I would fit that stereotype to a T. In that sense. I was raised literally in a leather household prior to 2000. Yep. I am absolutely old guard for that purpose. Now, as a leather person, we also, I also consider we also myself fit, differently. We also fit certain protocols that would run around and run down that same... Exactly. Style is to where we be considered old guard. Yet, well, what is that's... what is old guard versus you know? Well, you, and... you take the way life ever evolves. Evolves. Old guard back in the day, there was a lot, well, a whole shit. There's a very there's specific a reason of... that I specify it that way because technically speaking, and now we have to break into the leather culture definition of separation because we have to. All of us mm -hmm. here would qualify as new guard, not old guard, for the purposes of actual yep. leather cultural history. None of us is prior yep. to 1980. Correct. Not because we weren't born that long ago, but none of us started our kink journey that long ago. Nope. You know, no matter how long we've lived, none of us was over 18 when Old Guard was still a thing. We are literally part of what happened after gay leather stopped being the only form of leather. Yep. Very specifically, hetero, semi-hetero, homosexual, normative, gay leather. That said... Old Guard has a very strong stereotype in the community that has nothing to do with the actual definition. And that mm -hmm. is where my biggest problem is. Because most of those who use that fucking description don't fucking Don't actually know it. what it means. None of them yeah, deserve it. They don't it. actually know what it means. You know. I have never heard a covered master call himself Old Guard. I'm not saying it hasn't okay. happened or that it can't happen. But it's rare. There's a reason for that the same way I don't call myself old guard. I hate the fucking term because most of those who use it for themselves usually are nothing of the sort. And half the time nope. they're not even fucking leather. They use it as an explanation to cover their ass to make it sound like they know more than they do. Yeah, and that's and bullshit. this is where the stereotype is. They make it sound like an OG, high protocol, I started in leather in the old days... But, but I didn't. didn't have to bottom all these other bullshit <laughs> excuses. And they have a great story ready. They always have an ex mm -hmm. exciting story about how they're unique that way. And they came down the path their own way anyway. And this is why I don't have anything. And fuck you. Mm -hmm. Right. As someone who has been See? leather my entire adult life, who has never, ever considered myself old guard for a number of reasons, some of which are respectful, some of which are not. If you're abusing the term to fuck with my culture, fuck you. Right. I do not tolerate that shit for a reason. And it's not just out of what? toxicity, it's because you're implying to someone who doesn't know any better that you know more than you do in a capacity that will hurt someone. Mm -hmm. You're abusing my background and culture to hurt someone. You can fuck yep. right off, and I'll help you pack. 
I'm going to even help them pack. Leave your shit. Just go. Well, it's either I help them pack or I kick them hard enough that they don't have a choice. So right. out of the two, I'm taking the diplomatic route. When old guard comes out of my mouth, I use it for that whole point of this is the style that I learned from. It doesn't mean that that's who I am, but you learn. I, I learned the cultural history of it, where it started, where it came from, as to why. And yes, old guard really shouldn't be taking out of anything further than maybe the late sixties. And maybe that's early seventies tops. Well, and it was the seventies where there was really started to be a matriculation where you had. Now, bear in mind, there was we've talked about that during the episode with Miss Rue as well. There was hetero leather prior to 1980. There was, but it was it just wasn't as common. Tied up in the MCs and the one percenters, and we're not going to go near that right now. We don't need to. It has nope. its own thing. You can mm -hmm. dig it up if you really want to. Google's your friend, but it's not part of this conversation either way, on any nope. part of it. But that was where it was the most toxic because these were very much – they didn't write anything down, which is why there's so little history about it. They were misogynistic mm -hmm. ass clowns as it was affectionately referred to as somebody in the chalkboard recently. And I agree with that. Definition. And most of, and most the of them were actually just abusers. Old leather. Yeah. They're mostly just abusers. They yeah. used they used the guard. They used that cover to do whatever the fuck they wanted, however the fuck they wanted to do it. and to supposedly get away with it because that was their lifestyle. Right. I beat on women because I can because they want me to. No, dude, you beat on women because you're a piece of fuck. You treat yeah. women like shit because that's how you feel, because you're a misogynistic prick, and you need to burn. And they, those are the ones who quite literally ruin any type of good standing for any of us who say, yeah, I'm leather. Oh, yeah, I've ridden a motorcycle. <clears throat> okay. Cool and, for you. Are you really leather? Do you understand it? I was going to say, I know plenty of people who were in MCs and weren't in MCs with a motorcycle that were just enthusiasts. Had nothing to do with leather or kink. Right. It has no direct bearing on the other, nor does it automatically make you the other. No, it doesn't. <laughs> you know, and but quite a few of the them, same... Quite a few of them use that cover, though. Quite a few of them used it. Well, I saw this one guy, he was doing it. He was getting away from it. And it looked like the girl was getting off on it, so I am going to copy it. Yeah. And I'm going to do the same, but I'm only going to do it because I'm a spoiled, entitled fuck who thinks that I should be able to treat women this way because that's the way I want to. Like, I don't think you understand it at all, but more likely than not, when he was done beating on her the way he did, he probably took her in the back, back room and treated her like a fucking princess for the rest of the day. But you didn't see that part of it, did you? No, of course. But I'm also going to step just back down off my soapbox before I get myself any further carried away because I want Miss Knox to have her part of the floor as well. <laughs> You're right. I need to stop, too. No, it's, it's okay. It's really easy to get sidetracked on this one hard, as that wasn't obvious. No, and, and I, I appreciate both of your points of view, because they're not points of view that I have. You know what I mean? Like, I... My interaction with Leather and my interaction with those proclaiming to be old guard was much different than the both of you. Um, Fair. Part of that is because I am a woman. Um, you know, lesbian Leather has not been given respect in my opinion very much at all that has not that, i'll fully agree and a lot of that is also dependent on where you are because some places it is a little more recognized i won't say accepted i will say recognized I still do not feel that lesbian leather is given the same weight other facets of leather 
Um, I will completely agree with that. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and even more so, you know, heterosexual leather, which is its own topic. And I don't even want to delve into to why that crap happens. But the, the reality is, for me personally, when I came into leather, it was not in a traditional, it was through a lot of occupational experience. I'm not going to dive into that either. But people that I met early in my journey named leather. They had all been presented pieces of leather. And I was led to believe that it was a one true way kind of thing. You know, and I'm not saying that completely facetious. They believed in it. And I understand it. But what I have learned now in talking to people who lived through the 70s, you know, people who were in leather and part of these movements during the AIDS crisis, during all of these, these big social upheavals that happened in the, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, um, because I've been very fortunate to be able to talk to people that were alive and actually present for it. Some of the problems that has arisen post that, that the people who actually knew what the fuck was happening and what was going on died. That yep. knowledge and that historical knowledge has been, I don't want to say completely lost because I don't feel it's been completely lost, but it has definitely been bastardized as it's moved forward. I agree. I completely can understand and appreciate why the gay leather movement feels that other types of leather are appropriation. I understand it. I cannot agree with it fully, but I can understand and appreciate where those emotions come from. Yes. Likewise, all of the pomp and circumstance around presenting leather is not a thing. No. You were, you were given leather, you were gifted leather by people very often couldn't wear it anymore because they had AIDS and they'd lost so much weight. Yep. Had people who died and said the leather was passed down because they're still damn good quality pieces. You revered the person that they came from. Yes. Then you had mm -hmm. the other side of leather startup where presentation of leather was to give you the outward appearance to be recognized by your leather peers. They recognized you as a leather folk. And when you went to cons, conventions, and stuff like that, you, know, you were easily identifiable and recognizable separate from an MC. You know, so that people, if they knew, they knew, they saw you, they recognized you, and it was like, that's a leatherman. That's a leather woman. You know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's invalid. Any stretch. <clears throat> because for some people, being presented leather by their group is validating in a sense it does show hey we we think that you have invested enough in the community that we're now willing to invest in you and i think that there's a lot of power in that so i understand why people would claim that to be old guard my personal experience it's, is that that's not old guard personal no, that's just experience following. it's just you're you're following a peer group and, and again yeah. i don't want to take away from that because i think people do need that um, I think as leather folk, we need to be identifiable. We need to be seen. That's how you keep going. But one of the negative sides of things that I have seen firsthand and I have experienced firsthand 
someone claiming to be a leather master, claiming to have known all these people and, oh, you can vet me and all this kind of stuff. And then you try to vet them. Every name they gave you is somebody who's deceased. Yeah. Mm -hmm. now, a lot of sympathy goes into that, for obvious reasons. My bullshit flag equally pops up. Yep. Because if everybody that you're claiming can vet you and say, yes, I watched this person come up, I watched this person train, you know, I know who they were mentored by, blah, blah, blah. If literally no one can vouch for you because they're all deceased, no one can vouch for you. Get some new referrals. Now you're banking it. Yeah, because now you're banking your social currency on longevity and your actual physical age, yeah. which doesn't prove skill. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't actually show dedication. It just shows that you know how to use cool buzzwords. And Precisely. So not to say that that, and, and I will say this, I don't think that that person was fully bullshitting because of, you know, other things that I know about that person. They were not fully bullshitting. They, they did come up through the ranks, so to speak. Right. But I've thing, watched them do after is the problem. And to claim, no, this is old guard. This is how you mentor. No, this was your way of doing it. Quit teaching it to younger people coming into leather that this is the one true way. And I watched it time and time again. It's like I've watched a title holder is another thing. In some circles, title holding means something. In a lot of circles, you have very talented, dedicated people going for titles because they, they use it as a vehicle to get the title where it needs to go. And I think that that's fully fucking valid. And I do feel oh, yeah. like they're giving something back to the community. What mm -hmm. I don't appreciate and what I don't necessarily agree with are the people that get given a title because they were the only contestant. The people who get given a title because they happen to have money and backing. So it made it look like they had more social currency and skill the reality was they really didn't demonstrate that. We've seen all sides of this. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like I've really have. And that's why for a long time for me, it prevented me from identifying as a leather person. Because I was like, I don't want to be associated with any of that bullshit. Right. And my first, my first hang up was, I'm a cisgendered female. I, I describe myself that way. I am a woman. And because that is my identity automatically precluded from a lot of circles i'm okay with that i don't deserve to be in those spaces they're not mine that doesn't mean that i'm not leather exactly yeah now, the other the other problem that i've had with it was my age um when i came into it i was 20 a lot of people didn't want to take me on didn't want to mentor me didn't even want to help me on my journey because i wasn't worth anything i was a stupid kid and to be fair i probably was I look at it now, those are the people that help keep leather living and breathing. Because leather to me should never stagnate. It should never die. Right. You know, and if we want leather to, to keep propagating, we want people to keep an interest in it. We want the history to be passed down. We want, you know, the protocols, the customs, and everything that, that we use to embody and identify as leather to be passed down. I'm sorry, you have to be accessible and people have to be able to reach you and converse with you. So yes. if you keep running around with these airs of, oh, I'm a covered master, don't speak to me. You have to, to crawl and prove to me why I should give you my time. Well, now you're kind of a pompous prick. And to me, you've now strayed 
what it means to be a leather person. No longer giving back to the community. You're no longer fostering anything. And to me, that's the stereotype that needs to be absolutely destroyed. And if somebody is still running around behaving that way, shame on you. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that that does absolutely have nothing to truly do with the community at all. No, That has to do with the person who they are. They got that taste of power. And the moment they got that taste of power, they got that pompous, I'm better than you. Well, if they I disagree, I, I disagree with that. I disagree with that wholeheartedly because part of being a leather person, my definition, is that I am showing to you by, by wearing my leather publicly and identifying as a leather person that I am accountable. I'm yeah. showing to the community that I expect you to hold me accountable. And if that community is letting that asshat fly by and not holding them accountable, you have failed. I agree. Yes. Have absolutely failed as a leather person. Oh, yet I have seen. I have, what I'm trying to say is I have seen this. I have witnessed it with my own eyes. Those covered masters, as they are supposedly want to be, they walk around with that pompous air as to I am better than the rest of you. Don't speak to me. And it is a, a, should be upon the community to look at that person and be no. You are accountable. The you should open times up. You were I given. We heard the phrase. <laughs> Of course, I know what I'm doing. I'm old guard. Uh huh. And what the, the worst part is mean? when they're not covered masters, mm-hmm. or anyone who's even earned the description, and that's even worse. Mm-hmm. Pretenders, not even just pretenders. Like pretenders happen in all forms of kink and all forms of leather. It's not just that. It's a very specific type that abuses a level of position and authority. That they have neither mm-hmm. ever set foot in, much less earned, but know nothing about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and those are the I ones mean... that truly steam my gears more than any other. Because you're not just an imposter. Like, imposter syndrome's a thing. Imposters are a thing. If you are yep. absolutely faking my culture in an unhealthy way, solely to abuse someone else for your own personal enjoyment, I will actively hunt you down. Make no mistake. Yep. It is the one thing I am probably the most actively a bulldog about. If I catch wind that you are abusing my culture for your own personal gain, especially if you've never set foot in it and I can find that out, you are so going to regret your life actions. And I'm not even going to oh, sugarcoat yeah. it. I am that strongly of that opinion because you're hurting everyone who wears the colors. You are hurting everyone who's trying to represent that culture and not let it die. You are helping contribute to the toxicity that is causing its death, even though you're not even part of it and they don't need help. Mm -hmm. They're doing a fine job fucking it up without you, but at least they're part of it. I don't have to like what they're doing to it, but at least I can say they've earned it. Even if they're fucking it up. You don't even have that luxury. You better walk the fuck away fast if I find you. (laughs) But that's that's what I mean, though, is when we're talking about stereotypes, a lot of that behavior that you're describing is the stereotypes that people unfortunately encounter. Yes. You know, because, and and I know what it is, right? You Go to a bar because you're like, okay, I'm willing to put myself out there. I want to start meeting some people because I want to talk about this. I want to learn about it. 
whatever the case is. And you finally get the courage to, to go up and, and talk somebody, you know, seek them out. I want to learn about whatever, leather stuff. Tell me your history, right? Another thing I have found is that asking someone how they began their journey or how they got interested in leather is deeply personal. Mm-hmm. And it's not it something that they're just is. willing to volunteer. And it's not something that I think they should be expected to volunteer. No. And I have, I've seen, because I've seen this firsthand, people see leather folk out and about. They get excited. Oh, I want to talk to a leather person because I've heard about this mystical beast. And I want to I go, go interact with leather folk. Like there's some, some fey king and queen, right? And the first thing they ask is, so how did you get started? That's intimate, especially for a stranger. Like that's like walking up to somebody and be like, "So, do you have kids?" <laughs> like the <Right>. fuck? <laughs> it's, it's it's deeply personal, and people don't necessarily understand and respect what they're asking. And so I find that a teachable moment often gets lost. Um, and I'm not saying that leather folk always have to be above reproach. I don't think that that's fair either. Like we're still human, and we get irritated, and we get tired of dumbass questions. But I do feel that. Those interactions kind of color how people see all of us, and it colors it's whether also, or not they want to keep learning. It, it's also, it does come down to, again, as to being accountable. Yeah, I'm tired of hearing that question, so how did I get started? Yes, it's personal. I'm not going to tell you how, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not going to be like, the way I started is the way I started. How are you interested in this? What is it that you're looking for? Turn the question back on me. Oh, you're just looking for knowledge and education? Great. I can point you. If I can't help you, I can point you into, into, in a direction to somebody who can. Especially with me because I am a salty, grumpy son of a bitch. 90% of the time, I don't want to interact and I don't want to people. And it's not because I am above or anything else. It's just because I fucking hate people. But it, I will still take my time to say, hey, look, there's nothing I can do for you yet. Let me point you in directions for somebody who can, I see you're interested. Let me at least try to get you to a door you can knock on for somebody who's going to be willing to, because I'm not. And it's not because I don't have the knowledge, it's because I just don't feel like talking to you. Well, and Woody, you know? Woody actually covers a good point on that because of his own particulars. And, you know, I. I don't know his whole story any more than anyone else does, and it's always up to him to share it when he wants to or not. But he makes a comment about, you know, that he's technically been raised in with people by leather. He was introduced to kink by leather people, but not in a way where he feels the intent, the deserving to be called leather because he himself did not pursue it and doesn't have the understanding of it that way to claim it. Personally, I think that's not only no less valid, but much more laudable to recognize the difference. Because he's not trying to pretend to be something he's not. But instead is capable of articulating his knowledge base, where it comes from. And if anything, I give him points for the fact that if he wanted to do more, he could if he wants to. Instead of claiming something he doesn't. Right. And that's the difference. Well, and, and kind of to go along with that, you know, another stereotype about leather things fact that you have to start as a submissive and work your way up 
No, that's not universal. It's not. No. That's the stereotype. That's but that's the stereotype. That's the trope. Is that every covered master started as a slave or submissive to to a leather house? That's that's not necessarily true. I started bottoming, exactly. but I was I was nobody's slave. I was nobody submissive. I, I I started to bottom because they always flat out explained to me, look, for us, this is how we feel that if you are going to actually be doing this to other people, if you are going to be asking them to do these types of things for you, perhaps it's a good idea that you know what it is that they are going to be struggling with, dealing with, healing, right. So that you have an understanding as to what it is you are inflicting upon somebody else when you do it. It's getting to learn both sides of that coin. I was nobody's slave. I was nobody's submissive. But I did bottom, and I bottomed willingly because I wanted to learn. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I think that's completely audible and responsible, right? I mean, that's... Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the thing I if think I'm... people forget, too, is... You know, I was, I say blessed, not because it's the only way to go or the best way to go or any of that. I recognize blessed for myself and that I had the, I call it a luxury for a reason. I was brought into a leather house at the ripe old age of 18 and a half. Like the half. Yeah, I know, right? Well, <laughs> gotta add the half. I know, right? More of a man well, you when you're 18, that matters. You know, now it doesn't mean shit. But... <laughs> I was indoctrinated in a leather house that was run by a covered gay master who had reached the point where he recognized that in order for the community to grow, they couldn't shut themselves away. But he had also met with a hetero master who had the same opinion. And rather than fight with each other, they put their heads together and they talked it through and they figured it out. So mm -hmm. we had, I won't say the best of both worlds, but we had both perspectives, which is why awarding leather was part of our household, not because it was the only way to go. And they were very clear about the fact that this was unique to us and not a norm, nor is it something we should expect to be common. But it was their particular method of teaching new people of leather and the way it would be brought up because it allowed them to layer education in certain ways. Like, you were not allowed to be a call aim yourself as a dominant until you had bottomed long enough to earn a certain way. And it wasn't mm -hmm. because you were better than everyone else by earning it. It's that they felt that your education was competent enough. And that could happen at any given point for anyone. If you were struggling with a particular lesson or whatever, it might take you longer than someone else. It didn't make you less... But they didn't want you going out into the leather community or to a party and showing yourself to be unknowledgeable in the community. Yep. Because they understood it's... that in order to go out there and make leather look the way it needed to to continue perpetuating itself and its survival, they felt mm -hmm. a certain level of education was required to go out and represent in public. And so those that tears can also... were the way they developed it for themselves. But they never sugarcoated that to us. They didn't make it sound like that's how leather was done. Or that everybody saw that it can... that way. That can I think also that was contribute. just as important. Because no... That can also contribute to that stereotype is we are pompous and we come off that way because only certain people will do certain things at certain events. 
and they say that is, well, maybe this person's lesser than, and they shouldn't. Well, no, it's, well, I'm still learning, so I am watching. And it's, well, what about the reputation of the house? It has absolutely nothing to do with the reputation of the house. No. They are actually protecting you from making yourself look like a fool for going, oh, yeah, I've felt a flog. And I've swung a flog at a pillow, and I'm going to swing it at a human being, and I'm going to hurt them. And it says something about the way they introduced me to it that I don't sit there and say, oh, it was the best way possible for everybody. No. The first thing out of my mouth is that it's not necessarily the best method or the only path for everyone. And more importantly, I recognize why they felt the way they did about it because they Mm -hmm. were trying to keep the leather community alive in the way they thought best. No more, no less. And they didn't sugarcoat it. They didn't make it sound like no one else had the right idea. They didn't make it sound like theirs was the only way that it would make sense. They gave us the ability to make those choices for ourselves, as it should be. Mm-hmm. And there are several out there who make it seem like this is the only way. Exactly. And they indoctrinate you into something as to like you're walking into a religion. Like the Catholic Church is the only way. The faith of Judaism is the only way. Islam is the only way. Right. Well, guess what? If you're all claiming that you're the only way, how come so many people practice in so many different areas? There is not only one way, and every way is valid as long as it is actually safe and practiced safely. Well, and that's the bottom line. Just like in leather, it's the way you approach each other is the bottom line. Not who, you know, who taught you matters in the sense of you have to be able to walk the walk the way you talk the talk. Mm -hmm. And it will generally show in the way you carry yourself. You know, I'm another salty old motherfucker. But I didn't get that way because of leather. That's just who I am. Yeah, that's exactly who I am. It has nothing to do with the way I was raised or anything. It's just my fucking personality. Right. Does it happen to work well with leather as a sadist? Yeah, kind of. But that's just my particular perspective, and I'm not going to be the first one to look at you and say yours is wrong because it's not mine. It works for me because it's who I am. And this is customizable to me because it's mine. I live my lifestyle the way I choose to. I live it under certain guidelines that are pretty much universal. Be safe. Be aware. Communicate. These things are very important, and that's why we preach them, and it's why coming across these stereotypes and to bring them out to people going, hey, look, don't get pigeonholed in a stereotype if you don't know what it is, and don't claim to be something you're not, especially when it comes to those stereotypes, because every single trope out there, you get pigeonholed into one of them, and you'll forever have that stain in that area, as that is what and you usually are. usually if you get stuck in one of those pigeonholes, it's because you're showing flags of a kind where there's a reason. Exactly. And those are something 100%. to avoid anyway, because, I mean, if you've been listening to our podcast more than a couple of episodes at this point, if you haven't figured out how to navigate those roads... Get off the, the road. We can to help you. It's up to you to actually get off the podcast <laughs> in the fucking car and make sure there's gas in it when you drive. I mean... <laughs> We're giving you the car and everything else. You just have to fill the fucking thing yourself. Pretty much. If, if you need if you need a ride, hop in the back seat. I'll take you as far as I can. Right. But eventually I'm going to say, get the fuck out. Get your own. You know? And it's not because I'm trying to be an asshole. It's because I need you to walk your own path too. For you, not for yeah. me. I mean, sometimes it's you for me to too, a... but it's every bit as much for you. Because your need path to be able to carry may themselves. not be the same. And you won't know mm-hmm. that if you don't figure it out for yourself. You know, I can never I can never preach to anybody that this is the only way, because guess what? It is the only way for me. It's not the only way for you. 
my way is my way. Mm. And that this is my way for me. And I still learn every single day that, hey, guess what? My way's got a lot of forks. You got it. And sometimes a I lot of different I'm on a different fork than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shit, I thought I was I thought I was on a concrete street. Turns out I'm a bumpy fucking dirt road. Sometimes you are yeah, a bumpy you know? fucking dirt road. I mean <laughs> that too. It's yeah, I mean it, there's so much. Honestly, I mean there's there's so so much. There is. It's I, we'll I may end up extending this to a second episode just for tropes and stereotypes because I feel like it's deserved because it's really easy to get mm-hmm. deep into any one of them. And it's not because they're not deserved. It's that they're needed because I want people and to understand what they are and more importantly, why they are versus what we get really easily like. sidetracked in them. We get you easily know? sidetracked in every single one of the stereotypes. Well, I mean, how long have we been ranting know? about we've been ranting about leather and, and the stereotypes of leather for how long? Well, Granted, all of us are leather. We're all leather folk. Well, and that's a yeah, great example still... in that we're three very different leather people with very different origins. You know, mm-hmm. while you and I, Mr. Devil, have definitely shared similar origins in the fact that we come from similar background types. Even then, our They're still entirely are really different, different because yours was familial mm-hmm. and mine was indoctrinated. Yep. And it's even more then, so the three of us are very different formats, but we still have very similar perspectives about the community. And it's just like one Nox brought up that I'm still and I'm I'm still highly I'm highly curious about and I want to learn more about the lesbian leather side of it. And it's not because women on women turn me on, it's because it's an entirely other aspect to part of my culture that really truly is not valued the way it should be and it's not looked into as well gay you know gay leather culture men on man on man it's everywhere heterosexual side of it we're getting a little ground but they're still they've still gotten nowhere and i would love to learn more about actual lesbian leather culture just for that reason is because it's something i'm not entirely familiar with and i feel like i feel like i'm leaving an entire section of my lifestyle out of my repertoire well, and not because I can never identify as a I can never identify as a gay female. I can never identify as a gay male. But I'll beat both sides of that ass gleefully. That's fair. I can appreciate well, and, that. No, and, and I get it and I understand it, right? Because I for me personally, I'm not a gay man. But I my introduction to leather was being around gay men. Right. You know, so all of the that I've seen customs, identification, styling, all that kind of stuff. I learned from gay culture, which did very much bias me, mm-hmm. you know, coming into it. And I mean, I, for me personally, I've, I've met one gay female leather person. And she did not have at that point any, any submissive or anything of that sort that she was, you know, and we didn't really get to speak long because it was maybe a 10 or 15 minute interaction. But it's always made me very curious on the side of this too. What is it that I am not? What is it that I do not know? What is it that I am missing? Where is this part of history that is a part of my history? Because it actually truly is. It's all valid. No, I mean, like for me, I will say this. Like, um, like I said, being being around a leather and learning about leather through that vehicle was very different for me because it made interacting with those that were part of the lesbian leather culture difficult um because i had a really hard time with the names i had a, a hard time with 
terminology, the identities and things like that, because I didn't understand them. I didn't understand how they related to leather other than here's what I call myself. Right. You know, and then the other thing too, is there's all the stereotypes around lesbian leather and, you know, different expectations based on how people present. Yeah. That I thought was total bullshit that you don't necessarily see in gay culture the same way. Um, and then you've got the weirdness around heterosexual leather. Because yeah. that's a completely different ball game from the other two. Mm -hmm. and, that's that's and another I, thing on the itinerary of we will cover that at some point too because it needs to be. No, we need to. No, absolutely. We, we need to because uh, because all of them are very valid identities. And then you've got the people who are leather that don't fit into any of those camps. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, that, and that's a growing majority. Well, yes. I won't say majority, but it's a growing number of people that don't fit into any of those three camps. No, and rightfully well, I, so. It's not their identity. I would even venture to say, and I don't say this lightly, and I know there's some controversy in me saying it, so let me preface with that for a reason. It is my personal opinion that a lot of current hetero leather falls in that category in the sense of most of them did not get trained in leather from hetero leather previously. They came to mm -hmm. it later. And much like everyone else who is not gay leather is under the politics of being heteronormative. And I'm not saying mm -hmm. that applies universally, but I find many of them really aren't in a specific camp the way old hetero leather would be. Because they, even being from them and they don't follow that path the same way because they don't even know what it is. They don't have the tools. They yeah. weren't introduced to it. They don't even know where to find it because old hetero leather did dick all for passing it down. So yeah, they're literally they really forging do. a path of their own in many ways. Right. But there's, but there's also a faction because I, I will never say all, I, I won't do the, the right. broad stroke thing with that, no. but there, there is even within the leather communities, there is, there is a large faction that does not recognize lesbian or hetero leather. I agree. Mm -hmm. They do not believe that it's a thing. They feel that it's fully appropriated cultures that they feel it's a fully appropriated way of living. And they're not okay with it. And that's why a lot of times when you see groups that try to promote leather solidarity and try to promote this community mindset of, you know, we welcome everyone, they're, they're kind of doomed to failure yeah. most often. Because a whole bunch and of people it's like fragmented. shit on it. No, I agree mm -hmm. with you. And having, and, and, that's, and that's the thing is I've now experienced leather cultures on two coasts. Um, I'm sorry. That are radically <laughs> different. I mean, and really. both have their pros and cons. Like no, they I, do. they do. You know, and and kind of the other thing too is being an an event organizer. You know, and and dealing with some of these these communities specifically because that's who I choose to identify with. You know, a lot of this is front and center for me. I was going to say, especially on the West Coast, mm -hmm. and you're right in the thick of it in more ways than one. Mm -hmm. and, and and that's the thing though is here on the west coast you can't even get people to fucking agree um you know i've right. i've actually had the luxury over the last couple of days i've had a lot of really good conversations with leather folk um yeah, both online and in person and some of it's been very affirming you know some of it has been very welcoming and some of it has been extremely extremely fucking toxic um and it's, to me, it's just sad. You know, I don't have that delusion that we should all be one big happy family. I don't have that delusion at all. I don't no, think that I that think that's exists. that's unrealistic anyway, because that's not the mm -hmm. nature of how leather is. 
you can't be with a big happy family anyway because every single big family out there is dysfunctional as fuck. <laughs> That's true, dude. <laughs> but I but I do feel that there should be, if anything, mutual respect. Yes. And there should be the ability for each group to hold space for the other leather groups, regardless. You know, now mm-hmm. if somebody's just toxic as fuck, they're toxic as fuck. I'm not going to hold space for them. Mm-hmm. But no, that's different. But I'm still going to respect their identity. I'm still going to respect that they're identifying as leather folk. You know, and holding, I'm going to give them that. Holding the door open for other opinions and views that are not your mm-hmm. own is a very valid thing to do. And there's for good reason for that because if you stop changing, if you stop moving forward, and you grow stagnant then you let this die. Mm-hmm. You let this movement as to who we are and how we have grown. That's how, that's how it goes away. It's how it dies. If you close your mind off and this is the only way it should be and nobody else can change your mind on it, you are the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's what I've said more than once on this podcast at this point is, you know, at the end of the day, specifically in terms of leather, you know, you don't have to be part of the problem if you're not part of the solution, but God help you if you're not part of the solution for whatever the reason is. And I'm not saying you can't be like simply unable to. I'm not going to fault someone for not actively being able to if they're, they don't have enough knowledge or they're still learning or they're not in the right position. There's a brilliant different ways where they simply may not feel they qualify to. Then for the God's mm-hmm. sakes, at least don't get in the way of people that are. That's all. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. If you're mm-hmm. not fixing it, at least don't stop those that are. That's all. And that's really yeah. easy to not do. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Well, I mean, it's the human nature and it's human culture within ourselves to fear change. Mm-hmm. And the gay cult, the gay leather culture, I mean, Master Snyder, he was gay. He was a full-on gay man. Him taking me on, knowing that I was full heterosexual, but I had a tendency that I didn't care if it were male or female or both that was split up on that. I would beat him gleefully. He still took that time to be like, hey, I am a gay man and I still disagree with a lot of what is going on because I do feel that my culture is being appropriated. But he learned like from me as much as I learned from him that, hey, look, you have absolutely no say and no grit and no control on as to who, how, and or why they are going to want to become a part of this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It don't matter if you're gay, straight. If you if you identify as a tree and you want to fuck a frog, you have absolutely no control over whether or not they want to be a part of this lifestyle or not. All you can do is reach out your hand and say, look, this is my path. Go ahead and try to come down it if you wish. If you wish to take another, go for it. But don't bash them because they don't see things the same way you do. And he finally started to understand that. It actually helped him grow as well. well it was, it's another case of that. Of... It's, it's another, yeah, it's, a, it's another mm-hmm. case of taking an OG or old guard gay leather man, if that's what you want to call him, and him being open enough to be like, hey, look, you're right. If I stop growing and learning... I'm going to be no better than the assholes who came before me who's let this knowledge go away. Mm-hmm. Sometimes no. us old dogs, we got to be kicked in the head a little bit to get it through that, hey, look, 
everybody's way is valid as long as they're being safe. Well, and ultimately, we learn from the people we teach as much as we learn for ourselves. Oh, always. And that doesn't happen in a vacuum. Okay, you have to be not. open to both directions. Because ultimately, again, it only gets better if we're all working towards making it better. Or there will come a day where we're just an island in the middle of nowhere and a whole bunch of people who are like, who are you? And I don't you know what? want to see that day happen. Simple no. as that. Really, that's... If it's going to be... An if it's going to be an island in the middle of nowhere, I want it to be a very large island with a lot of people with a lot of communication and a lot of background so that those who are willing to come into that island know they're coming to somewhere safe. Because whether we like it or not, we kind of are an island all on our own. We are either, however way you want to put it, we are at the very, very deep, deep end of the pool or we are right up on the top of it. Either way you look at it, we are, especially because we are, for the most part, heteronormative leather people. We are an island all of our, all on our own. And it's not the best way to look at it, but I want to be able to branch out to go to the gay leatherman and be, hey, look, I embrace you. I want to be able to go to the, the lesbian leather women and be like, hey, look, I embrace you. Your ways are just as valid. And we don't need to be a big, happy family. Just Let's just all acknowledge the fact that we are all taking our own path and our own journey, and they're all valid. Okay. You know. <laughs> I'm going to wrap us up, at least until the next episode, where we will we will definitely take up a part two on stereotypes. I think we have a few more we definitely should get to with their own spaces. Um Yeah. Anybody got some final thoughts? I think I'll let mine out. <laughs> <laughs> you let it all hang out. Well, you know, that happens sometimes. <laughs> Sorry. I it's got a mind of its own. Um, <laughs> I'll just come back to what I always say is, you know, if you ever want to learn more, if you're listening to this across the world, across the country, on the server, off the server, three hours from now, I don't give a damn. There's so many different ways to get a hold of us, especially myself. I am always out there and available, especially on places like Darker Facebook or here in, you know, the Chateau. Get a hold of us. Write me. Email me. Threaten me with a good time. Whatever. I don't care what the question's about. If it's kink-related and you want to know more, please ask. If you haven't figured out by now that we're here because we want you to learn and because I will happily spend hours teaching and helping you gain the information you need, then I don't know what to do with you. Well, and, and, and always for me, too. I'm Find me, message me. I, I love hearing from everybody when it comes to this stuff. Um, yeah. And I welcome all questions also. So whether it's Instagram, the FETs, the, you know, the, the various discords <laughs> that I'm in or run, um, <laughs> by all means, feel free, to, feel free to find me don't mind <laughs> i will be here as well i may not be as open and active as the, the other two here but i'm trying my best to get back into my life i'm trying my best to get things back up and running the way they should be such is life so well ladies and gentlemen thank you guys for listening anybody who will be listening later thank you we are you are literally the reason we do these have a wonderful rest of your day enjoy <laughs>